If you have a Bible and are able, stand with me. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and by God's grace, we'll finish out this chapter today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to start reading at verse 25 and going down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 40, um, so you can follow along as I'm reading. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have another translation, you're going to note some significant differences uh, in a couple verses as we go through here, and I'll explain those um, when we get to them uh, in the sermon. But follow along, starting verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies... She is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Got a wonderful passage reminding us of the beauty of singleness. Reminding us that there are those that are called to be single. And that there's freedom there. And Father, there's good reasons in this passage uh, for single people to remain single. Uh, And so I'm thrilled that you include this because we often get this one wrong. And we often fail in our outreach to singles and to uh, those who are without spouse. So I pray this morning as we uh, talk through this and as you help us to learn, I pray that we would be encouraged as you speak to our hearts. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. If you go to the average bookstore today, you're going to find scads of books on marriage. If you start looking through the the shelves on marriage, you're going to find all kinds of things. But if you go looking for books on singleness, good luck. There aren't very many out there. I did a search on Amazon this week uh, for books on singleness and books on marriage. Here's what I found. I typed in uh, marriage in the book section, and it came back with 115,000 869 books that I could choose from. Now, granted, all of those aren't Christian books, but 115,000 books written on marriage that I could choose from. I typed in singleness, and I got back 294. For every one book written about singleness, there are 394 books written about marriage, if you do the ratio. So it's pretty obvious what we think about in our culture when we think about singleness. We don't give it a whole lot of thought. We don't give it a whole lot of value, apparently. Yet Paul, throughout this chapter of 1 Corinthians 7, he keeps coming back to this theme over and over again. He keeps saying singleness is a good option. In fact, he says in many ways it's a better option. Marriage isn't bad. That's, that's a good option. But singleness is also a good option. And so he talks about this uh, throughout this chapter. Now, as we go through this sermon this morning, one of the things that I don't want you to do is to come to the conclusion that the Bible is anti-marriage. It's not at all, okay? This particular portion we're going to look at may make you think that way if you didn't context it in the larger uh, scriptures. So let me give you just some to sort of catch your mind there. It was Paul, the guy who wrote this, is the same guy who wrote Ephesians 5, And he talks about wives and husbands, and he talks about how marriage is a a picture of Christ in his church. Paul had a very high view of marriage. Paul, this is the same Paul, wrote in 1 Timothy 4, condemning people who've departed from the faith and who forbid marriage. He said that is absolutely wrong, to forbid marriage. Back in Proverbs, if if you study in Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 18, you'll find verses like this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. There's another verse that says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The writer of Hebrews said, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And the entire book of the Song of Solomon is written about two lovers, a husband and wife, and how they express their love. So across the board in the Bible... The Bible talks about the beauty of marriage and upholds the sanctity of marriage. The Bible is never anti-marriage. God is not anti-marriage. He designed it. He created it. But the Bible also talks about the joy of the single life. And that's the balance. And that's what we're going to find this morning. There are a lot of reasons why a single person, person should consider remaining single. That's what we'll look at. Now, as a way of context, for those that maybe haven't been with us, we're working our way through 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Paul is answering a number of questions posed to him by the Corinthians in that church. And they're saying, look, we we have all these scenarios. We have single people in our church. Uh, We have 
um, Christian marriages in our church. We have believers who are married to unbelievers in our church. What do we do with all of these different scenarios? And one of the lies that this church is being fed is a lie that shows up in verse 1 of this chapter. And the lie goes like this. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so throughout this chapter, Paul keeps coming back to this theme and he's saying, ah, you have that wrong. In fact, it's a beautiful thing for a husband and wife in the, in the sanctity of their vows to have sexual relations. You can't just ban marriage in order to try to attain some level of spirituality. Paul says your marital status does not equate to your spiritual status. That's been his point throughout these verses. And so... Corinthians, who kept saying, you know, the, the grass is probably greener on the other side. It'd probably be better if we just divorced our spouses and started all over when we become believers. And Paul says, that's not the case. That's not where I want you to be. And one side note, if you were here last week, um, I, I have to go back and add this. I, I skipped over this chunk of notes in, in my message, and they were important ones, and so I need to address this, okay? Um, because... Um, I talked about staying where you are. Paul does not prohibit a change in your marital status, okay? He simply says, what is your motive for doing so? If your motive for a change in your marital status is because you think you'll be more holy or you think you'll be more godly, that's the wrong reason to do it. But he says, just like the slave, if you get an opportunity to become a freedman, you can do it, that's okay. Um, But what's your motive Okay? That's what Paul is driving at here. So throughout 1 Corinthians 7, he very systematically lays out each of these categories, singles, marrieds. Uh, he's going to get to widows as we go through this section this morning. So Paul says, my preference is that you would remain single if you're already single. It's a gift How do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Well, Paul has told us, and let me just remind you, you may have the gift of singleness if you can exercise control over your passions. If you're content to serve the Lord in this capacity and you really don't have this driving desire to get married. If that's the case, you may very well have the gift of singleness. And Paul says, you're blessed if you have that. Paul today is going to give some other compelling reasons if you're single, for why you might want to consider staying single. That, and and they really are comparing, uh, compelling reasons. And so when Paul is combating this idea of you shouldn't have sexual relationships with a woman, in this section, Paul says, you're right, I'll give you that fact. If you're single, I prefer you stay single, but not for the same reasons that you're promoting, Corinthians. It's not because you're holier if you're single. But he says, I'm going to give you some good reasons why you might consider staying single. And he gives four. If you have your message notes, they're listed in your message notes. There's four good reasons that Paul gives in this text for remaining single. They are these four reasons. And if you think about these, they can sometimes be the negatives in a marriage. Okay? Number one, there's persecution. Number two, there's pressure. Number three, there are partitions that are put up in a marriage. 
And number four, the permanence of marriage. These four reasons, Paul says, singles, I want you to think about these because they're compelling reasons why you might consider whether or not you have the gift of singleness. Okay? Reason number one, there's persecution that comes in a marriage. Let's look at this. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I got to stop right there, okay? If you have an ESV version of the Bible, you'll see the word betrothed there. If you have virtually any other translation of the Bible, if you have a New International, if you have a New American Standard, if you have a King James Version, if you have a New King James Version, you'll find the word virgin there, okay? Um, The ESV translators have put a little interpretive slant on the word, and they've said this isn't just virgin, but it's a specific kind of virgin. It's a virgin who's engaged. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. I think the better word there is the word virgin, and it's footnoted if you have an ESV. So we're going to go with the word virgin there. The ESV translators get that from verses 36 to 38. We'll look at that in a minute. But what Paul has in mind here is a person who's never been married, a person who is sexually inexperienced. The assumption is they're not married because they're sexually inexperienced. Paul's idea of sexual experience always happens in the context of marriage. So when he says, here's a virgin, now I'm going to talk to you about virgins, he's talking to us about single people. Okay? So we know who he's addressing now. He says, verse 25, Now concerning the virgin, I have no command from the Lord... But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, I'm not quoting the Lord here. The Lord never spoke directly to singles. But what I'm getting ready to tell you, I'm getting ready to tell you, and it will be trustworthy. Why should we trust Paul? Paul says, well, you ought to trust me because God has given me mercy to be trustworthy. Paul is speaking with apostolic authority. So we can't take his words here and say, just because the Lord didn't say it, I can just discard whatever Paul's getting ready to say. Paul says, no. It's by the Spirit within me guiding me to write these words. I'm giving you instructions, singles. Okay, so here's my judgment. Verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is. Reason number one, Paul says, for singles to consider staying single is that they face a present distress. What is Paul talking about there? What is the present distress that he has in mind? Well, we don't know for sure when it comes to Corinth, but we can guess a couple things. One, we're pretty sure that a famine was taking place. In the, around the city of Corinth. If a famine was taking place and you have a single guy, he can fend for himself, right? But if you have a guy who's married, he not only has to scavenge for food for himself, but he also has to provide for his wife and children. That's a distress. That's a, a problem. That's some persecution that he's going to face. Now, that's one option. The other thing that we know that happens shortly after Paul begins uh, preaching and teaching 
is that there is an intense persecution of Christians by the hands of the emperor Nero. Let me give you some history just to kind of help you understand this. It was fearful what this emperor Nero would do to Christians. The cruelties that he inflicted on the Christians elicited even the sympathies of the Romans themselves. Even Romans who hated Christians felt bad for them when they saw what the emperor Nero would do for them. In Nero's mind, he defined success by the invention of his cruelty in his persecution. It was not uncommon for him to take Christians, wrap around them garments of wild beasts, skins of wild beasts, and then he would turn them loose in the arena and turn wild dogs in on them, and the dogs, thinking they were attacking animals, would just rip them to shreds. He found a narcissistic kind of joy in watching Christians die this way. He would also take Christians and he would dip them or wrap around them garments that were made of wax. And then he would hang these Christians in his garden and he would light them on fire to light his garden while he took his stroll around in the evening. He was a cruel, hateful, wicked man. Paul very likely knew that this kind of persecution would be coming because he himself was a persecutor of the Christians and he knew that it was only going to intensify as the gospel began to spread. So you think about this. Paul's addressing singles here and he says, one of the reasons you might consider staying single is because of the present distress. As a single person, for you to face that kind of persecution is terrible and it's difficult and it's hard. But can you imagine the pain that is multiplied as a wife and children have to stand there and watch you die that way? That would be horrific. Paul says it would be better in light of the present distress if you would stay single and not have to put your family through that kind of thing. We don't face that kind of barbaric cruelty today. But let me just throw this out there for you that are Christians today. Being a Christian today is rapidly becoming far more dangerous than it was just a few years ago. Many of you heard uh, the announcement that our president made uh, this week um, endorsing uh, same-sex marriage. Let me challenge you. You go out on Facebook and you put something out there about your support for the sanctity of one man, one woman, and you watch the persecution fly in. Happened to me this week. Happened to others this week. Because we live in a time where that is untolerated, intolerable, that kind of an attitude. Paul's admonition to a single person would become this. In light of the present distress, consider, just consider. If you're a Christian today and you begin, be, begin or continue to speak out in favor of what the Bible says, know that you bring persecution on your head. That'll be difficult enough for you. But if you bring a family with you, know that it'll also involve them. 
I would ask that you pray for me specifically as your pastor because it will become increasingly more difficult for me to legally preach what's in the word. Already outlawed in Canada, this idea of speaking out against same-sex marriage rapidly will become the case here. I have a family and children. They follow right along in my footsteps. As a married man, I have the persecution on me as well as my family. Do you see Paul's point here? Paul says, in light of the present distress, single person, consider whether it would be better for you to stay single. That's his first reason, persecution. Paul gives a second reason for considering uh, singleness, and it's this. There's pressure in marriage. (laughs) That's an understatement for those of you that are married, right? There's pressure in marriage. Let's look at this. Look at verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. In other words, don't get rid of her. Don't divorce. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Okay? Are you married? If you're married, stay where you are. If you're free, don't look to get married. And by the way, uh, just uh, for what it's worth, that word free there is what we call a perfect passive verb. For those of you that are English majors, perfect passive verb. It means something happened in the past that caused a state of being today. Okay, so when Paul says you are free, it's something that's happened in the past that caused me to be free that brings about a state of being that today I'm single. Paul has in mind a divorced person there, okay? They were once bound to a wife and they've been freed, okay? So Paul here is saying, if you're married, don't look to get remarried. If you're single, stay single. Um, But if you've been freed uh, from a wife, stay there. There's no need to to get remarried, okay? But he goes on to say in verse 28, he says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet, and here's here's the warning, here's, here's the second reason for singleness, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Marriage brings trouble. The word trouble there literally means pressure. Marriage brings pressure. How so? Well, let me put it this way. Nearly 13 years ago, my wife married a sinner. I thought I was marrying a saint. I found out I also married a sinner. And by God's grace, we've had birthed three little sinners into our home. And they go running around sinning all the time, throwing toys, yelling, and I sin right back. I yell, I I discipline out of anger, right? All of these things happen. There are are troubles. There's pressure. And so when those things happen, we have to seek each other's forgiveness when we sin against each other and we, we start all over again. But here's Paul's point. Singles, I want to spare you that kind of pressure because here's the deal. When you're a sinner and you get married, you bring that sin into your marriage. Just because you get married doesn't mean that all of that sin trouble falls away. If you're having trouble 
controlling and containing your sexual urges before you get married, don't think that getting married will cure all of that. One pastor said it like this, perhaps the worst sexual organ that we have a problem with in our bodies is our mind, right? And if we don't have our mind right when we go into the marriage, that marriage isn't going to solve that problem, right? Sometimes singles are very lonely and they think if I can just get married, I won't be lonely anymore. That's not always true. Some of the loneliest people that I've counseled have been married people because they bring in a sense of dependence on people into their marriage, thinking if I have this person, then I won't be lonely anymore, and yet that person doesn't give them what they need, and they're still lonely because their joy is not found in Jesus Christ. You see, we bring our sin with us into the marriage. We marry sinners And so how does that go away? Well, it goes away by turning not to a spouse, but to Jesus. That's how it goes away. Jesus died for that sin. Jesus died for worry. Jesus died for self-absorption. Jesus died for lust. Jesus died for all of these things. When you were still in that sin, Jesus died for you. And when he died and he rose again, he said, now... If you will believe in me, if you will trust in me, not only will I save you from the wrath that's due you for that sin, but I will give you the power to live above that. So that when you get married, you don't have to bring that sin with you because you find your security in me. You find your salvation in me. Jesus says, you must repent and believe in me. And then that pressure won't be there. It's when you get married then, you come into that marriage, not perfect, but you come into that marriage under the authority of a loving and gracious master. And you say, whatever he wants is what I want for this marriage, not what I want. So I'm not gonna bring my sexual lust and and my loneliness because Jesus satisfies. So now I come into this marriage with a completely different perspective. So Paul says, number one, The reason you ought to consider not becoming married is because of persecution. Number two is because of pressure. Now look what he says. He gives some advice here to people who are already married. Look at verse 29. Here's why I would say this, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What in the world is he talking about? Verse 30, let those who mourn as though they were not mourning Great, how do I do that? Let those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. What does that mean? Let those who buy as they had no goods. Let those who deal as they had no dealings. What's he talking about here? Here's what he's saying to married folks. He's saying your focus ought to be on the eternal. Your mind ought to be set on the eternal. Why? Because the time is short. The Lord is coming back very, very soon. He says, you need to live in this life as though you have no wife. What does that mean? Does that mean I I just ignore her? Does that mean I I don't talk to her? Does that mean I divorce her? No. He says, your focus has got to be on the eternal. And know this, in the eternal, 
there will be no one giving in marriage and there will be no one given in marriage. In other words, the satisfaction that you find in your marriage is for this life only. When we get over there, there's going to be no more marriage. I've had people ask me, what does that mean? Am I going to know my spouse when I get to heaven? My answer is, I really don't know. The Bible doesn't say much about that. But it does say this. It says that this marriage thing is for here now. It's not for the eternal. It's for here and not for later. So Paul says, in your mourning, don't do that anymore. In other words, when you lose a spouse, is that difficult? Yes. When you lose a spouse, is that painful? Yes. But don't mourn to the point where you completely shut down and you're of no earthly service anymore. Paul says, remember this, the time is short. Keep that focus on the eternal and mourn for a time, yes, but don't let that mourning define who you are. On the flip side of that, in your rejoicing, don't let that rejoicing define who you are. You love your bride, of course. You can't wait to spend time with her. Of course, you're on year 25 of your honeymoon. That's excellent. But in your rejoicing, don't rejoice to the point that you forget about your service to the Lord. The time is short. The end is coming. And when you get to the end, Paul says, there's going to be no more marriage. So rejoice in the wife of your youth, yes. But rejoice with her as you're serving the Lord. Do you see what he's saying there? That's Paul's point. And he's also saying... For those of you who are caught up in your dealing and in your business and in your buying and your shopping, don't let that define who you are. And folks, there, there are some of us here that need to hear this because there are some of us here who are so worried about our bank account and we're so worried about the car we drive and the house that we build and the vacations that we go on that we're not lightly attached to this world. We are heavily attached to this world and Paul says don't become that way there's pressure in marriage yes but you keep your eyes on the eternal you lay up your treasure in heaven which means what using that earthly wealth to bring treasure into heaven in other words bringing other people with you that's his point so Paul says singles (laughs) there's persecution in this life and there's pressure in this life good reasons to consider staying single there's another one comes in verse 32 I'm calling it partitions partitions divisions dividers verse 32 I want you to be free from anxieties the unmarried man is anxious that word anxious there is a positive anxiety it's not something that would be condemned as Sinful, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he can please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Why? Because his interests are divided. He has partitions in his life. He wants to serve the Lord. He enjoys serving the Lord, but he also has this family back here he needs to provide for. He wants to spend his life in full-time ministry, full-time being at the church and prayer and and study of the word, but he's got to go to work too. 
because he's got to provide for his family. So the married man is anxious about a couple different things, how he can serve the Lord and how he can serve his family. But the unmarried man, the single guy or the single woman, they've got the benefit of having not those kinds of divisions in their life. They can say, you know what? If I want to sign up for this class at church, I can do it. I I have the ability, I have the freedom to do that. If I want to go on a mission trip, I don't have to check with my spouse. I don't have to make sure my kids are taken care of. I can just pick up and go. Uh, An unmarried person or a single person has the unfettered benefit of being able to maneuver in life without those kinds of encumbrances on them. That's Paul's point. He says, single person, I want you to be free to go and, and do as you please when it comes to serving the Lord. It's a wonderful benefit of being single. Look at verse 36. By the way, verse 36, if you have an NIV, if you have a King James Version, your verse is totally different. (laughs) Verse 36, okay? Completely different. Let me tell you why. Mine says this, if anyone, and, and there's the problem word, anyone, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, his passions are strong and it has to be let him do as he wishes let him marry it is no sin here's the problem we don't know if the anyone there is talking about the fiance or if the anyone there is talking about the dad because in that time dads arranged marriages and so your bible may very well say if a father is unsure what to do with his virgin daughter and he gives some advice okay We're not sure what he means there. But you know what? Either way, Paul's point is exactly the same. And his point is this. Fiance, if you want to get married, if you're already engaged and you want to get married, go for it. Not a sin. It is not a problem. Get married. Don't think that the single life is for you if you have a desire to get married. Get married, okay? Paul's point being the same if he's talking to fathers and he says, Father, if you have a daughter that wants to get married, don't force her to remain single. You only exaggerate the problems in her life. If she wants to get married, by all means, arrange the marriage. Let her get married. It is no sin. So at the end of verse 38, he says, you have it both ways. If you get married, you've done well. If you stayed single, you've done better. Okay? Paul says, they're both good options. I think one is better than the other, but they're both good. If you get married, all is fine. If you stay single, I think all is better because you have more flexibility in your life. There's not all those partitions going on in your life. Okay, there's one more reason for a single person to think about singleness. And that is because of this. When you say, I do, you say, I do for life. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a permanent commitment. When Jesus was talking about the permanence of marriage back in Matthew chapter 19, he says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The disciples were in an environment where it was perfectly acceptable to divorce a woman for absolutely any reason they wanted. 
If she, too, if she put too much salt in your potatoes, you could divorce her. If you just didn't like the way she fixed her hair today, you could divorce her. That was the culture in which the disciples had grown up. And so when Jesus comes along and he says, no, man and wife are joined together, let no man tear it apart. When he said that, guess what the disciples' response was? They said, well, if it's that permanent, it would be better for a man if he never got married. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't backpedal and say, no, hold on, guys. Don't, don't take this to extreme. Ah, Jesus says, what you've said is right. It'd be better for a man if he never got married. But then he goes on to say, but this saying cannot be received by everyone. In other words, not everyone can accept this saying because not everyone has been given the gift of singleness. You see? And this idea of permanence Paul kind of throws this in here at the end and he he includes these widows. He's reiterating this general truth to singles to say, before you go into that marriage, know something. It is permanent. It's permanent. It's a general truth. Now we know that Jesus in Matthew 19 gave an exception for an adulterous person. We know earlier in in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives an exception for an unbeliever who leaves. But the general truth, the compelling truth, the overwhelming truth, when you commit and you stand in front of witnesses and before God, and you say, I do, it's a permanent establishment. Look at verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies... She is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Widow, Paul says, you're happier. You'll be happier if you just stay where you are. But you can get married to whom you wish as long as it's a believer. And I think too that I have the spirit of the Lord. What's Paul's what's Paul saying here? The only thing that's supposed to end a marriage is death. When you marry for life and when you say your vows, it's a permanent institution. Please don't go into your wedding thinking, if this doesn't work out, it's okay. I can redo it later with someone else. Paul says, absolutely not the right idea. He says, when you go into this marriage, it's permanent. All chips in. You can't back out of this one. It is for life. And if you do remarry, widow, he says, you have to marry a believer. There is no room ever for a widow or widower who's a believer to marry an unbeliever. Please don't use your marriage as an evangelism tool. You may marry an unbeliever and by God's grace, he may save that person. But to go into the marriage knowing you're married an unbeliever is sinful and it's presumptuous. Because God may not do that. So Paul says, if you're a believer and you do get remarried, you must marry another believer. I like what he throws in there at the end and and I'll just comment on this and then we'll close. At the end he says, I think that I too have the spirit of God. Don't read those words, I think, meaning 
I hope so, or I suppose. What Paul is saying is there is, I consider that I too have the Spirit of God. The Corinthians were saying, we have the Spirit of God, Paul, you don't. And Paul says, oh no, I very much have the Spirit of God. He's operative in my life. I think that I too have the Spirit of God. It's a sarcastic remark back to the Corinthians who wish to cut down his apostolic authority. So let me conclude by this. If you're single here this morning, here are four compelling reasons for you to consider whether or not you ought to stay single. If you stay single, or if you are a single person who is here and has been single for a long time, know this. God has a place for you. And so do we. As a church, we value you. We love you. We want to engage you. We want you to feel like you are part of us. We want you to be part of the leading. We want you to be part of the teaching. We want you to be part of the interaction that goes on in this church. Please don't feel like when I graduate high school and until I get married, I'm a nobody. You're a somebody. And we love you. And we're glad that you're here. Paul says, I value singleness highly. And I would echo that, that as a church, Providence, we do too. And we're glad that you're part of us. We want you here. And for those of us that are married, I would just encourage us, look around you and find people who are single and encourage them. Love them. Talk with them. Interact with them. Let them know that you care. Reaffirm them and don't put pressure on them that something must be wrong if they're not married. That's not Paul's goal here. If you're single this morning, however, and you want to get married, we're here to help you with that too. Some people are embarrassed to talk about that. Some people would rather die than come tell me Sean, I'd really like to get married, but I can't find anybody. If you want to get married and you're struggling with that, come talk to us. We want to be able to help you with that. In the meantime, you need to wait. You need to be patient. One pastor said it like this, and I quote, the only thing worse than waiting is wishing you had. So you wait. Be patient, but let us help you. Let me give you three places you can find help, and then I'll pray. Me and the elders, we want to help you. We will talk this through with you. In our library, there are resources to help you if you are single and you want to know what is the married life all about. And out on the Welcome Center, there's all those little booklets. There's three little booklets out there written just for you. They're titled, number one, Who Should I Date? Number two, Single and Lonely. And number three, should we get married? If they're out, if if they're gone when you get there, come talk to me, we'll order more. Those three things I offer to you. We love you. Singles, give it some thought. Are you called to singleness? And if you are, God will bless you in ways and use you in ways that married folks find a lot more difficult. And if you're married today, I would encourage you, don't divorce. Don't break up because you think that the single life must be better. God says, I'll bless your marriage too. All right? Fair enough? Let's pray. God, thank you for 
all these wonderful admonishments. I pray for our singles here this morning. God, what a gift to a church, really. What a gift that you would allow singles to remain in that way so that they could be of greater service to you. Father, I pray that we would find a multitude of ways to use our singles. Father, for those who are single and really don't want to be, I pray that you would give them a great amount of wisdom. I pray that, like James, they would ask for wisdom and they would believe that you'll give it and they won't falter, they won't wobble around but that the wisdom you give them would enable them to find a spouse who also believes you and that they would go into a marriage with all of the ideas of permanence and of using that marriage for your glory. Father, I pray for those that are in this room this morning that may be wishing for the rapture so their marriage would end. Father, I pray you would work in those marriages that are hurting, that are troubled. And Father, I pray that you would become the bedrock of joy, that your gospel and its saving power to not only save us from your wrath, but to give us an unspeakable joy in your presence. I pray that that bedrock would enable a troubled marriage to withstand the storm and come out on the other side more pleasing to you and more loving of you. Father, give us grace. We need it every day. We love you for it. I pray your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.